0: Good morning again. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. I am Carmen LaBerge. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. Thank you so much for including us in your day. We've got a lot of opportunities and resources for you posted at MyFaithRadio.com. Encourage you to engage with us there. You can uh, be prayed for. You can sign up to um, receive information. um, and, And there's tons of resources there during this month of forgiveness. And so love... Love for you to connect with the resources that are available there, to consider the forgiveness that we experience in Christ Jesus our Lord, learn how to extend that forgiveness to others, um, reflect on forgiveness, and develop your forgiveness muscles as well. So all of that at MyFaithRadio.com. What is uh, going on uh, in terms of the Bible and uh, public schools across the country? Well, this is an interesting story out of Utah Um, First of all, I think of Utah as a fairly socially conservative state. Uh, I could be wrong. A suburban school district in Utah has done what? They have banned the Bible in elementary and middle schools um, because there was a parent who was frustrated by the efforts of other parents to ban materials from the schools. Um, Those parents arguing that there was material in the library that was vulgar. And violent. And this parent says the Bible is sexually explicit, vulgar and violent in many cases, as is this parent also argues the Book of Mormon. It'll be interesting to see if after removing the Bible um, from the Davis School District north of Salt Lake City, uh, if that if that school board also moves to remove the Book of Mormon. I mean, right Uh, again, it's Utah. Um, So elections matter. And local elections matter a lot. Um, And so you're going to see an increasing uh, emphasis on conversations related to school boards across the country because local school boards really do make the decisions related to such things. So it's an interesting conversation Um, on the school front and what's happening across America. um, uh, There's also a story out of Oklahoma. State officials in Oklahoma have approved the local Roman Catholic archdiocese request to operate a public charter school. So this is going to be the first explicitly religious public school in the United States um, in modern history. I mean, obviously, historically, uh, before public schools were, you know, became government institutions, they were actually all church schools. Um, So uh, but this is in modern times, this will be the first explicitly religious public school uh, in the United States. So supporters of this effort, again, this is Oklahoma and the local Roman Catholic Archdiocese, um, supporters hope to use this as a test case, um, probably something that, you know, uh, there will be those who bring a suit against this happening. And then obviously the, the goal of such efforts is to move this conversation forward, not just on a local level, but nationally. So this is one of those things that you could eventually see rising to the level of the Supreme Court um, winning the right for religious charter schools um, or the right for charter schools to offer religious instruction when those charter schools are publicly funded. So that's what uh, that's an ongoing conversation. Absolutely worth um, you know noting and paying attention to. Um, and so we'll talk more about that as time unfolds. I think it's a good opportunity to remember those religious liberty concerns, um, across the country, and that as your local community, like, let's say, the school board level, or maybe rules that are made um, by your county in relationship to schools, or maybe you live in a place where there's independent school districts, um, independent of geography. Um, so all kinds of conversations related to this, like, do you actually know what's going on locally? Um, and, and then I'm also thinking, let's be the people who, if we live in a state where there is religious release, um, you know, let's really think about um, partnering with an organization and offering religious instruction to kids off campus with parental permission, provide transportation for that to happen, and and actually introduce kids to the things that um, are in the Bible and the God who makes himself known through it. So I just want to encourage those kinds of of things to be happening in and through all that God has given us, um, with the freedoms we enjoy in this uh, in this great country. Uh, Dr. Brett Nix is going to join us next. I mean, when was the last time you had a checkup? It's always good to check in with the good doctor. Um, and in, did you put sweetener in your coffee this morning? Um, you know, are you are you looking at summer and you're like, oh, shorts and bathing suits? Um, I gotta, you know, I gotta fast or I gotta trim down fast. He's going to talk with us about all those things. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Mm -hmm. Dr. Brett Nix is joining us now. You can find him at the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org, or at brettnixmd.com. Good morning, Brett.
2: Good morning, Carmen. Happy Tuesday to you. How are you today?
0: Happy Tuesday. Oh, it's, uh, you know, God is good, and uh, and so I'm good. That's pretty much my, I just live in that reality, uh, spirit of contentment. How about you?
2: That's a, uh, that's a great place to be. I'm wonderful. Beautiful day outside. It is summer, and uh, with summer comes all the joys of summer. So I, I can't complain. Until the humidity settles in, it is well. Yeah.
0: Um. Mosquitoes, ticks. The desire to get uh, fit fast, or at least thin fast, and so uh, let's talk about artificial sweeteners. Um, you know that might be a temptation, right, to replace sugar with something else.
2: Yeah, it is, and you know, here's the reality of things. Uh, when summer comes for everyone, there is a sweet taste of summer. I don't know for you, that's like it is in North Carolina, sweet tea. Uh, whether that means that somebody's going to make some some nice lemonade, maybe somebody's going to to go ahead and stick with the traditional glass of water, which may not be so sweet, but tastes oh so good when you have some ice with it. The reality is simply this. Many of us are calorie conscious. And maybe many times we look at the fact that, hey, you know what, I'm not going to put in a cup of sugar when I'm making a a large uh, uh, sampling of tea or some lemonade for the family or otherwise. Instead, we've moved in really over the last 20 and 30 years into different types of sweeteners. And, you know, many people ask the question, hey, If I have a sweetener a little bit every day or a couple times a week, what's the effect on the body? And it's fascinating when you look at the studies that are out, and they continue to come out. And I recognize the most common one that is used, and many of us know it is Splenda, is called sucralose. And it has been around for and tested for more than 20 years. Uh, And, again, we continue to have studies. And if you look across the globe, whether it be Japan or Europe, the studies have said, hey, this is relatively safe. Let's balance this out and take a step back. So what we know to be true regardless is excessive sugar, just even simple, regular sugar. Excessive sugar is not good for your gut. It causes gut inflammation. For people that are sensitive, it can cause inflammatory bowel symptoms like bloating and nausea. uh, And it can also, inflammation can actually just cause the simple feelings of always being fatigued and not feeling right. Well, we know the same to be true with sucralose or the Splenda type of sweeteners. When you have excessive amounts, you get the same thing with gut inflammation. The difference with sucralose is it is not absorbed. So your body doesn't get the calories. It doesn't get the glucose that your body needs for your brain or otherwise. So it's good in the sense that it doesn't give you the calories. So you're not necessarily in the process of gaining weight if you're taking in excessive calories. But the question is, does the ability when it's not absorbed transform in your gut, cause inflammation, cause maybe some damage downstream? And there's a study out of UNC, uh, uh, NC State Department, North Carolina State University that said, hey, in large amounts, we may see that when it's not broken down in the gut, that maybe because it's in the gut transitioning, it can cause inflammation, can cause damage. And as we know, damage can sometimes cause changes to your DNA. Whenever we have that, we have to always ask ourselves, how much is too much? What is the balance? And what does this look like? And those are really the challenges. Just as an example, the data right now suggests that an average person, uh, let's say, Um, Let's say a large person, let's say somebody who may be a football player, 200 kilograms or 220 pounds, big individual, uh, they are able to have about 1,000 milligrams of sucralose a day. That sounds like a ridiculous amount, and it really is quite a lot. As an example, Coke Zero, only 35 milligrams. So the bottom line is we don't know enough about it, even though we've been studying it for 20 years. But what we do know to be true, excessive sugar, excessive sucralose, all of these things are not good for your gut health. And so we need to keep in balance. A glass of sweet tea, as we have here in the South, or a Coke Zero every so often, not a problem. But if you're going through a six pack a day, that might be way too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, by any by by any standard, I'll just say that's that's too much by any standard. Um, let's uh, let's take a very very brief break. When we come back, let's have the same conversation about carbs. You know, there's all there's all all kinds of emphasis and focus on. Um, reducing the number of carbs, and I guess, um, you know, I want to know, is a carb, a carb, a carb? That's up next here with Dr. Brett Nix. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Faith Radio. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. (music) Dr. Brett Nix is with us today. Um, he serves on the board of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. You can also find him at BrettNixMD.com. Uh, Brett, before we move to uh, a conversation about carbs, we have a couple of follow up questions from people on the text line. Uh, let's see. Um, oh, I got to scroll back here. Uh, monk fruit, stevia, monk fruit, other things that are naturally derived.
2: Yeah, so it's a great question. When you look at the consumption of those, to a lesser degree, you know, splendor remains a high. Stevia in the raw, monk fruit as a direct derivative, obviously, from that perspective, is very similar to from a sugar perspective, less caloric component. Uh, Those are perceived to be safer, have not been studied in long studies at this point. Stevia, much the same, while many things are, you know, developed, quote unquote, naturally, the processing that gets to those many times has the question is, is excessive amount going to cause harm? What we know to be true is any amount of excessive um, sugars or sweeteners to the gut cause inflammation can cause irritation nausea. Uh, we have to be mindful of it it's actually probably the third most common cause of inflammatory bowel type syndromes in the u s is excessive sugar intake
0: okay um let's uh let's pop over to the topic of carbs um you know maybe just a it's good to just remind ourselves like you know because we know that food is fuel, but, you know, in the same way that not all fuel that I put in my car is created equally, not not uh, not all carbs are created equally.
2: Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And I'll be honest with you, the biggest challenge people want to know is simply this, how much carb can I take, can I have, and what is safe for me? And the quite honest answer is simply this, it depends. It depends mm-hmm. on how active you are. It depends on what age you are. It depends on where you are in your growth cycle. If you are a teenager who's going through tremendous amounts of growth, you need the building blocks of proteins. You need some appropriate fats, but you also need the fruits and vegetables of the complex carbohydrates, far more so than what we just talked about, which is the simple sugars that we see. You know, the American dietary guidelines typically say somewhere between 45 and 65 percent of our daily caloric intake should be carbohydrates. I'll be honest with you. I, I firmly believe that's probably too high. Uh, I do think that you know we need to have the building blocks. And people say, "Well, what does that mean? What does 45 to 65 percent look like?" You know, if you were to say a 2,000 calorie diet, which is a generous diet, and many in the, in American society, we're way over that. We eat way too much caloric intake. But that is uh, that is about 225 to maybe 325 grams of carbohydrates per day. Again, what does that mean? A bowl of oatmeal without sweeteners of any variety, you know, brown sugar otherwise, is about 27 to 30 grams per day. So that's about a tenth of what you would consume. So if you consider, hey, I have plain oatmeal in the morning with a little bit of milk or maybe some coffee, you're getting about a tenth of what they say you should have. I'll be honest with you, I think carbohydrates should probably come down probably more in that 35 to 45 percent range. And the reality is complex carbohydrates, fruits, vegetables, again, vegetables don't hold a lot of carbohydrates. But we get into the things that our gut needs when we start talking about fiber in our carbohydrates, and again, avoiding the simple ones. It's really an important piece to understand. Yes, carbohydrates are absorbed easily, it creates sugar, what we call glucose, for the brain, and the brain is very happy with that, but it doesn't last very long. That's where proteins come in, and it's in our, in our body's process. We've talked about this before timing is everything. After you finish your, your night's rest, we call breakfast for a reason. It's breaking the fast, the fast that God created through the nighttime cycle. That's when we eat, we power through our day, but we don't want to eat carbs late at night. Again, we store that. We don't need it. It develops fat, and that's where we start having issues as far as weight process.
0: All right, um, ticks. Uh, I don't know. I've pulled... Um... I mean, I live in a, in a ticky place, uh, so the number of ticks I've pulled off our dogs is extraordinary, and therefore the number of ticks that uh, I also have had to pull off myself, right? Talk with us about tick-borne diseases, how to, um, uh, like, it, it, how fast, you know, like, I mean, get them off as fast as you can, right? But, like, how, oh, how long is too long?
2: Yeah, ticks are real. And for those who live in areas that have tick-borne illnesses, I mean, you're in, a, you're in a hot spot, Oklahoma, North Carolina, and then, of course, we have the Northeast with its own unique style ticks. These are challenges. We have issues with Rocky Mountain spotted fever, Lyme disease, uh, babesiosis, another one as well. And historically, we always said, hey, this is an April through October type of process. But if you don't have a deep, cold winter, the ticks don't die off as well. and So you'll see that even beyond that. The time limit is everything that you said. Duration matters. If a tick check is done on a daily basis, you will be fine because most ticks do not trigger the illness unless they've been attached for more than 24 hours. If you wow. have long hair, you're, you're not checking your
0: You just made yeah. me feel so much
2: better. Yeah, absolutely. So Lyme disease is typically a, a tick that is attached for greater than 24 hours. Uh, babesiosis is actually closer probably to 48, 72 hours. Um, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is our common one here, again, that 24-hour window, the bottom line is early and often. And again, this is summertime issues, right? Fevers, chills, aches, fatigue, and sometimes the rash that you'll see, sometimes the target lesion. The biggest risk are extremes of age: They're very young, they're very old, and those who may have underlying medical conditions or past trauma where their spleen is not functional, these are the things where if, if there's a concern, if there's a possibility, even if you've not seen the tick, Uh, Being treated, presumptively, is essential.
0: Oh, fascinating. All right. Um, Now, um, because we are prone to very short attention spans, and our attention span seems to get shorter and shorter and shorter all the time, can you um, read us in on our attention span being an issue of wellness?
2: Well, I don't know about you, but every single time I take my dog for a walk, my dog's attention span is about like mine. I see a squirrel about every 10 (laughs) seconds. And I don't point, my dog does, but goodness gracious. I mean, take a step back. Think about the sitcoms from the 70s and the 80s. You were in a scene for minutes and you watched people move. You watch a sitcom now and you're in a scene for about five seconds. And that is actually very, very true when you look at this. Our screen attention time back in early 2000 was about 2.5 minutes with your phone, your tablet, your computer. Now your attention span is less than 50 seconds. We are distracted and distraction decreases our ability to have deep thoughts There are studies that show it increases your stress. If you have stress, high blood pressure, you don't sleep well, all distractions. And again, we know this decreases your quality of engagement with others as well as with work. We talk about this thing called multitasking. Multitasking is a farce. The only multitasking you can do is chew gum and walk. That is, if you're able to do those things together, maybe chew gum and have a conversation. When you try to do this, it's really task shifting. You're moving from one thing to the next. You cannot have a good conversation with your wife and scroll through your phone. That does not work. But task shifting, doing one thing and moving to the other, yes. However, there is something we call the switch cost. It takes you a while to get back to what you were doing at the level and the quality that you were doing. So how do we fix this is the question, right? Well, number one, when you are switching tasks, take a break between that task. Get up, move, take a walk. If you are distracted, take a longer walk. Get out in nature, go outside your building, your house, whatever that you may be able to do. But to do this well... You need to turn off your phone when you're doing a task, minimize your distractions, lower down the screens and your interruptions and plan time. Say, hey, I need an hour to complete this task. Focus and do that. I need an hour to have a good conversation. Maybe I need 20 minutes to make a phone call. You should own your time. Don't let your time own you.
0: When you think about um, the, the pace at which images, um, you know, pop on and off a screen, uh we, we recently saw um with one of our kids um the, the brand new animated Spider Man movie and I uh described it to one of our other kids who asked how was it? I said it was like watching a strobe light. It was like yes. it was literally trying. I mean the images are it, it's literally like trying to watch a strobe light. And I um my husband said I, I had to close my eyes, which of course then meant he went to sleep. So um so there you go. <laughs> I, I mean I do I do think that like right, you're I mean there's there are there are warnings out there for the new um uh the little mermaid movie, I mean we saw yes. um warnings posted because I guess for people who are um whose epilepsy is triggered by That's right. fast flash kinds of things that movie move the images in that movie move at such a pace that the mind is is triggered um and so uh, and so um I just think that when we talk about being careful what we see being careful about what we're exposing ourselves to in terms of the pace of information, particularly that which is visual. I mean, just something we've got to be not only aware of, but vigilant about.
2: That's so true. And I'll tell you what, think about this for those who watch an episode like Spider-Man or a movie right before bed, Mm. explain to me how the brain can possibly slow down right away to allow you to not only fall asleep, but to sleep well. And we wonder why we have such issues with insomnia insomnia leading to fatigue fatigue leading to depression in our society it is not surprising
0: Mm. um as always brett thank you so very much um let's everybody go have um, a long drink of water today um, (laughs) and healthy snacks and do a tick check and um, yeah, just look at nature. Maybe spend a little time looking at nature today. It doesn't move nearly as fast as uh, technologically produced images. Brett, as always, thank you so much. You guys can visit with Dr. Brett Nix at BrettNixMD.com. Let's take a break for Breakpoint. Isms. If I say ism, What kind of ism comes to mind? I mean, here are a few that I just brainstormed. Communism, socialism, Marxism, capitalism, hedonism, conservationism, humanism, atheism, liberalism, deism, egoism, pragmatism, collectivism, animism, sexism, racism, so many isms. You got another ism that comes to mind? I don't want to, you know, I'd love to amplify my list. You can always text me, 877-933-2484. Isms, so many isms. Are you an ismist? If so, what kind of ismist are you? What is the ism about which you're most concerned today? Have you ever heard of dot-ism? What about grace-ism? David Anderson joins us next. Dr. David Anderson joins us now. He's the founder and senior pastor of Bridgeway Community Church. It's a multicultural congregation in Columbia, Maryland. He's also the founder and president of Graceism Global. We're going to talk a lot about that today. He's the chancellor of the Omega Graduate School. Dr. Anderson uh, did his uh, undergraduate work and his master's degree at Moody Bible Institute, doctor of philosophy and sociological integration of religion and society at Oxford Graduate school. His books include Letters Across the Divide, Multicultural Ministry, and Graceism. Uh, he also is a broadcaster. He hosts a live radio show afternoons with Dr. David Anderson, your bridge-building voice on uh, in the nation's capital. Uh, Dr. Anderson, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
1: Carmen, it's so good to be with you. Thanks for having me and hanging out with me this morning. Uh,
0: absolutely, absolutely. I would I would like to begin with the end in mind. Um, So what is gracism and why would I want to become a gracist?
1: (laughs) What a great question. Well, none of us want to be a racist and none of us like racism, which means to speak, act or think negatively about someone else solely based on their color, class or culture. So that's a bad word. We all love the word grace. That's a really good word. It just feels good when you hear it and say it. Uh, when we think about God's amazing grace, which basically is unmerited favor that we don't earn, we can't deserve it, none of us can repay it. And so grace is a good positive word. When you put the two together, there's a new term that emerges, graceism, And that definition is to extend positive favor to other people uh, in spite of, sometimes even because of, their color, class, or culture. And I believe that gracism is God's solution to racism. In fact, the G stands for God, and if you put God in front of any problem, he'll give you the solution to it and the strength to get through it.
0: That's so good. Um it's one thing to like have this desire. Okay, so I don't want to be a racist. Um I've developed a desire to be a gracist. Um desire is one thing. The want to is one thing. The how to is quite another thing. So I know this goes to the very end of the book, um, but how would I become a gracist?
1: Well, it's all throughout the book because it's built on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where it talks about all the differences that are within the body of Christ. And for those who've studied 1 Corinthians 12, we immediately think of the spiritual gifts because that's a primary focus. But Paul does something very interesting when he writes 1 Corinthians 12. Out of nowhere, he inserts race culture, and class out of nowhere. Like in verse 13, he he says, you know, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. That's culture, that's class, that's race. Uh, And then he goes on with this illustration that's saying that we're one body. So what is he doing? He's teaching us that within the diversity of the body, uh, there is a way forward, that we can honor God and work together. Well, what are those ways? That's what the book is all about. There are eight ways eight standards or what we call eight sayings of a gracious. These are things that you can do, commitments that you make, actions that you take. So, for instance, Carmen, the first one would be, I will lift you up. And uh, you will find it in the text. Each one of these phrases I just turn into a positive statements that are everyday language even though the Bible is using terms like special honor and special modesty and and things of that sort. So we just take each of these phrases and we put it into a saying, so I will lift you up. That means when we see somebody of a different color, class, or culture, or some marginalized group, we're going to ask ourselves the question, how can I lift that person or that group up today with my words, with my prayers, you know, whatever it may be. But see, that's now a very positive personal and sometimes institutional option of action that I can take. Mm,
0: That's so good. Um, uh, We're talking with Dr. David Anderson. The book is Gracism, The Art of Inclusion. It's an updated and expanded version. And yes, for those of you now wondering, we do have copies of the book to give away today. You can text the word book to to, uh, to 877-933-24842 to enter that drawing. Um, Dr. Anderson, uh, again, we're going to highlight First Corinthians chapter twelve. We're going to acknowledge and recognize that um, Paul inserts race, culture, and class into this conversation about the the way God develops the body of Christ in in its beauty and diversity. Um, talk with us about saying number two. I will cover you.
1: Yeah. So I will cover you. It's such a a beautiful saying, it's built off of the phrase in First Corinthians 12, special modesty. And so the idea of modesty is the idea of, of covering. You know, not covering up so much, so I'm, you know, I'm going to cover up for you and all your uh, bad things that you do. No, that's not the concept. The concept is there are some parts of the body that are weaker or less honorable or just not as... as, as pretty. They're they're not on the stage. They're the people behind the scenes who are putting up lights and putting chairs up after everyone leaves. I mean, these are the people that are sort of, quote, unquote, less honorable. And so when we see people who are either weaker, less honorable, marginalized, what we want to do as a gracious is to cover them, meaning we're not going to expose their vulnerabilities to embarrassment. We're not going to talk bad about them when they make a mistake, when they trip up. Uh, we're not going to expose it and shine a light on it and laugh about it. No, we're going we're gonna to cover it. So if you're the gracious in the room and there's a party and the, the geeky guy spills the punch, well, the gracious in the room is going to help him clean up the punch and say to him, you know what? I, Sometimes I can be clumsy. Sometimes I drop stuff, too. You're helping them. You're, you're covering them. The non-gracists in the room are laughing, talking about how clumsy he is. And can you imagine if he represents a group like evangelicals or represents a group like Asians or, or Hispanics or women? And so what you don't want to do as a gracist. now, racist is different. They want to laugh at anything – you do that is negative. They want to show pictures on the media of anything you do with the people that you represent. They're about exposing people's weaknesses, but gracists are about covering the things that are kind of the backside, and we all have one, and we all need it to be covered. That's what a gracist does, Carmen.
0: Wow. I when When you think about that one in relationship to the political discourse in our culture today and the way that people... Um use their own social media to highlight um the the frailties or failures of people who they are not supporting instead of um lifting up those whom they are supporting like right you're what you're really talking about is um the highlighting the positive and not always bringing forward to the forefront, not foregrounding. Everything that we can find fault with about another person. My sister calls it um, uh, being salt um, versus being pepper pickers, and so uh, I, I just, I mean, right? You just, you're nice. basically, you're like, don't pick the pepper, man. Stop picking the pepper.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like your sister, whoever she is, yeah, she, <laughs> she, she,
0: she would like you too.
1: Um, oh, all right, we're God. talking.
0: With Dr. David Anderson. The book is Gracism, The Art of Inclusion. We're giving away copies today. You can text the word book to 877 933 2484. Before we um, take a very, very brief break and come back to continue our conversation, Dr. Anderson, um, tell people where they can hear you um, in the afternoon.
1: So if you go to my uh, social media, that'd be the best place if you're not in the DMV, which is D.C., Maryland, Virginia. Uh, I'm all over the East uh, Coast in the in the main. Wait a second. Tell us
0: that. Give us that lingo again.
1: D.C. Oh, I'm sorry. Have have you not heard of the it's kind of like saying the Twin Cities, you know, everybody knows in that area, but everybody doesn't know outside that area. In Maryland, D.C. and in Virginia, they call it the DMV. And that's not the Department of Motor Vehicles. That's D.C., Maryland, and Virginia.
0: (laughs) I feel like today this might be the nugget. I'm just saying. I'm writing it down. You're you're putting me in the know, in the circle of knowing. I feel like I've been brought into the fellowship. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Dr. David Anderson in a minute. You can go to andersonspeaks.com. Um, or gracismglobal.com and connect with all of the social media um, and get access uh, to Dr. Anderson's um, afternoon radio program as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be back in just a moment. More Gracism, the art of inclusion. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Okay, thank you for all of those of you texting in. Um, the isms that I missed on the list, most notably among the isms that I missed in the list, was baptism. Yes, yeah, so I'll just go ahead <laughs> and confess that that should have been uh, on my list. We're talking with Dr. David Anderson. The book is Graceism. You've heard the word racism. Um, you maybe have not heard the term Graceism, and so we want to introduce you not only to the book. Gracism: The Art of Inclusion, but also graceismglobal.com dot com, which is the ministry website as well. Um, Doctor Anderson, talk with us about like your your heart for this. Like, why? What's your passion behind this? Why this topic, and why now?
1: Well, you know, the first original book, Gracism: The Art of Inclusion, was published in 2007, over 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so we revised and expanded it and added a new saying based on 1 Corinthians 12 as well, from seven to eight sayings, just because it is so needed now more than ever before. But, you know, it wasn't until I got saved when I invited Jesus into my life at age 18 that I realized that I was brought up, beautifully so, in the heritage of the black church. However, when my when we moved to a suburban area and my white friend, Billy Brogan, who I'd ride bikes with and play football with, when it was time to invite him to church, I realized he wasn't going to enjoy that church experience regularly. Now, I did take him with me to church, but again, Two or three hours in, in a black church for a white dude is probably not going to be his normal diet. And then when I went to his church, it wasn't my normal diet either. Like it was over in an hour, and uh, there were three points in a poem, and, and singing by, read, by, by opening a hymnal and singing verses one, two, and four. And so, I, I, you know, i, I felt like I just had French food. It was tasty, but it was just not enough. I needed a burger, you know. So I realized that there was this great division between white churches and black churches and ethnicities, Hispanic churches and and Latino churches and, and Korean churches. Why couldn't we worship together? And so God put that vision in my heart early on, and I'm sure it had a lot to do with my upbringing, some racial incidents I had, my father who was a hero who marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. All of that, I'm sure, was a part of what God was developing in me, but it wasn't until I got saved that he gave me that vision for a multicultural ministry. And so that's when I went off to Moody Bible Institute uh, and uh, got my uh, first real leadership role because i became the first black president of the student body at the the same year that dr joseph Stoll became the president and so he mentored me and and then after that um i went to willow creek community church as an intern and again it gave me an insight into white evangelical christianity which i hadn't had before and then being brought up in black uh, gospel ministry, you match those together and you begin to see the heart of Dr. David Anderson. So I believe that that's where, that's the origin story, if you will, Carmen.
0: I, I appreciate, first of all, your willingness to use the terms um, and then to express yourself as a person who embodies um, the the unity and the diversity of terms like white evangelicalism and black gospel protestantism I don't even know I don't know what the what what the yeah. endism is on that um when when we talk about be- being an evangelical today that is a term that's off, often used as a pejorative toward um people who are white and evangelical but also maybe um have that has morphed into a political term where it has historically been a theological um expression or designation. And so can you just, refl- I mean, you live in D.C. Can you reflect a little bit on maybe uh, that term, the use of that term? Do you do you describe yourself as an evangelical? Like, how complicated is it to be a Black guy in that conversation?
1: Well, you, you have to explain terms like Christian and evangelical because we have taken the word and misused it so badly, and it's not what they did to us, it's what we did to ourselves. Uh, You know, so first of all, when it comes to evangelical, I have to explain what that means, and it it means living out the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ, and it's really about living like Jesus after you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what evangelical means, and we're sharing the, the good news of Christ based on the Great Commission. But in the cultural environment, evangelical really has become uh, a political block. And and unfortunately, uh, the evangelical community, and specifically the white evangelical community, and we need to put that there only because there are a lot of evangelicals who are not um, right-wing MAGA Republicans. And so... That's the group and it's I'm not saying anything pejorative, the numbers bear it out. Over eighty-five percent of white evangelicals have supported and endorsed, right, a political candidate who would not even say that he was evangelical, right? Who would well, who not has, live like who, Jesus I think, or here.
0: Well and let David, let me say because I know because I know some of my folks who are listening. Um, when when we say that, we are acknowledging that there is a person who has said he's never asked God for forgiveness, and so and, we're not making um, uh, we're we're not saying something about something that that person has not already said about himself. Um, he has said yeah, that he yeah. has not asked God for forgiveness, and you really like that's the basis of the Christian faith.
1: No doubt about it. And, again, if you're not necessarily a, a Caucasian American, you may not see or feel what so many people see or feel who are not, you know, like me. I, I'm, a, I'm an evangelical brother in the Lord. I love God. I preach the gospel. You know, I went to Moody Bible Institute. Bible was the middle name, right? And so it's not like I'm against any of that. I have, you know, 40%. Uh, white people, Asians, Hispanic, half of my staff is white, you know, so that ain't, that's not the issue, but feel what I feel when a white president with white men and military walk out from the white house onto the streets where people are protesting for black lives matter. And they stand with guns, white males only, and hold up the Bible in front of a church. What does that communicate to the young black male? Religion, guns, white males. Where have we seen this story before? What does that communicate to the psyche of a young black man? You will be put down, and we have the guns, the power, and the God to do it. Guns, God, and white maleness shut up, sit down, go home. That's what goes into the psyche of black people, because that has been the story and the narrative for so long. But then you see that exact reverse where white men are climbing up the Capitol walls in my city. Mm. And you don't hear any of that. You don't, you don't see the military coming out. You don't see the, 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 the Bibles, the guns, the God you know, so I mean, can you imagine what that just does to the psyche of someone who's not a white evangelical
0: yeah, no, I can't i mean i, I just be perfectly honest like i I acknowledge that i I don't know um and and so we have to continue the conversation, maybe this is the best way to just ask you back um because. We didn't we didn't get as far into racism in terms of the content of the book as I would like to today. Um, do you think it would be Good. possible for you to come back and continue this conversation with us?
1: If you want me back, if you can have me back without too much pushback. Hey, my
0: when I was uh, when I was in seminary, we had a flag football team <clears throat> and um, we were called the O ones because that was just happened to be the year. And, um, and I was the center. So I do not mind pushback. Okay. <laughs> okay. I get How's it. How's that sound? And I get it yeah. every
1: day. I'm on the air here in D.C., but I, I appreciate your microphone, what you're doing. And we're not judging. We're just trying to enlighten. And I think what gracism does, it, it really helps us to figure out what is a positive way to handle mm-hmm. an ugly problem. And it's not just race. It's anybody who's marginalized. How do I act like Jesus? God was the biggest gracist of us all, right? He extended grace to another race of people, like human beings, and we didn't deserve it. But as a result, it reconciled us to him. That's the message.
0: I love it. I love it. David uh, Anderson, hopefully, is going to be willing to come back and talk with us. Dr. David Anderson, thank you so much. You can find him at andersonspeaks.com. We do have copies of Gracism to give away today. Text the word book to 877 933 That's all the time we've got today here on Mornings with Carmen. You can always check in with us online at MyFaithRadio.com. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.